0: last week it was entitled let the blood speak let the blood speak this week it is the the blood still speaks and it will continue to speak leviticus just two verses verses 10 and 11 leviticus 17 verses 10 and 11 i just said leviticus at the start didn't i just leviticus 17 pardon me verses 10 and 11 and whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood. I said last week, underline that. We're going to look a little at it this morning. I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for the blood For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Will you also now go to Hebrews, please? Hebrews, uh, chapter twelve. Keep your your Leviticus seventeen marked. Hebrews chapter twelve. And instead of reading all the 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 text that, or the pardon me, the 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 passages that we read last week, let your eye. Uh, Just run down to verse 24. That's those of us who are in Christ. It says we're coming to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. The mediator of the new covenant. Notice, unto the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That speaketh better things than that of Abel. Father, will you now take us and... Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us, encourage us. In these dark and dreadful days, Lord, you are still the light of the world. And your word is truth, and we thank you, Lord, we have absolute truth in Christ. Father, we ask you now just to shut your people in with, himself, with yourself, and we pray, Lord, that Lord, that you would speak severally and individually to each and every one of us, that you may be glorified in this assembly. For Jesus' name's sake I ask it. Amen. So the blood still speaks. Hebrews twelve twenty four speaks of the blood of Jesus speaking of greater things than that of Abel. We looked at it last week. You can you'll have to go back and look at it if you missed it or if you were on haven't been online. It's there for you to look at and to, to watch. The blood that speaks of better things than that of Abel is not Abel's actual blood when Cain killed Abel. God says that his blood was speaking or crying to him from the ground. And so they mix this up in Hebrew 12 and 24 and people think that's the blood they're speaking of, crying out from the ground. The blood that uh, the Hebrew writer is speaking of here is actually the blood which Abel shed from the little lamb or the animal, the innocent animal which was a substitutionary shedding of blood whenever Adam and Eve sinned and brought forth death in the garden. God had to shed a blood. And so that was the idea of it, blood would be shed. So the blood that speaks better things than that of Abel is not Abel's actual blood that was shed, but the blood that he shed before God when his offering was received and accepted by God, and Cain's offering of the works of his hands and the fruit of his labors was not accepted by the Lord. So that's the blood speaking. In other words, the blood this morning of the Lord Jesus Christ is as powerful, is as potent as ever and speaks for us in glory. Speaks for you this morning, speaks for me. So in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. We understand that, don't we? That if you get a bad cut and... And you sever an artery that you're going to bleed out. And you will die if the blood is not stemmed or staunched. And you know that. So the life of the flesh is in the blood. And then he says, I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. Notice, an atonement for your souls. Now it comes from flesh to spirit. From flesh to spirit. The blood of the animal kills the body, as it were, of the animal. The blood was shed before the Lord, but it was for the spiritual well-being of Israel. So God is saying that the blood is what makes an atonement for the soul. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul, it says at the end of the verse. The word blood in Chambers' dictionary just calls it the red fluid that flows through your veins and arteries. And so we know that. We don't need to be scientists uh, to work that out. For example, it tells us that the essence of life is in the blood. And so we understand then why blood and life is together. I spoke a little bit on that last week. uh, uh, And Adam and Eve and their fall in the garden. Again, we can't go through that if you missed it. I apologize. But in our text, I want you to note a few things here. First of all, if you're writing notes or taking notes, the blood must be through a sacrificial death. The blood must be shed through a sacrificial death. So the lamb, or the blood of the lamb, the lamb must die. So the blood to make atonement must be through a sacrificial death. Verse 11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Secondly, the sacrificial blood must be shed and applied. It must be applied. No good shedding the the blood and not applying it. When Israel were in Egypt, they shed the blood and it was in the bucket and when they took the bucket, they dipped uh, in the basin. They, they, they dipped the hyssop in the basin. And if they left it in the bucket, when the death angel came through, when the Lord says, I'll pass through Egypt this night, but when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It wasn't when I see it in a bucket. It didn't matter if it was shed or not. It had to be applied. Applied to the doorposts, the door lintels, and that's what God saw. And that's what God would accept. So it had to be Applied uh, in verse eleven, Leviticus verse eleven, it says, "I have given to you upon the altar." There's the application: the blood is over the altar. Okay, so the blood is shed. Now the blood is applied; it's on the altar. Same with the bucket and the doorpost in Israel. And thirdly, the sacrificial blood is the only thing that God will accept. Verse eleven. Says also, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. He didn't say it's your works. He didn't say it's your alms or your deeds or your good living or whatever it is. It says it's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So three things quickly. The blood must be through a sacrificial death. Secondly, the sacrificial blood must be not only shed, but applied. And thirdly, the sacrificial blood is the only thing God will accept. And so we see how Israel were to come under the blood. So we looked at when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we know that God made them coats of skins, animal skins, to cover their nakedness. And we looked at that also last week, to cover their nakedness. In other words, a sacrificial animal, an innocent animal that didn't do anything on them, it had to have... It's life poured out through the blood. And then the coats of skins were taken and placed upon Adam and Eve to cover their sin, to make an atonement for their sin. And every time we see the word here for atonement, if you're taking notes, every time you see the word for atonement, it's a word kafar kafar And it means to cover. But it also means that it goes beyond that And it gives us the idea of not only to cover, but on uh, on certain texts that means to cleanse, to wash, to expiate, to pay for. Through the blood, not only covers, but it cleanses. And in the new covenant, it cleanses and pays for our sin, our debt of sin. And so whenever we think of places who won't preach the blood, who are ministers who are afraid to preach the blood? And then I wonder why, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the preaching of the blood, how can someone know to be saved? How can someone know the remedy of their sin? So the word here, kafar, means to cover, and it also means to atone for or to expiate. Now, if you're going to read, I'll give you a reading when you go home. Write this down. And these are just points for take forever to go through these, but in Exodus Exodus chapter twenty nine, if you were to read it, you hear of a, a there's atonement for consecration. Write that down: atonement for consecration. That is Aaron and his sons would be the high priest in Israel, and they had to be consecrated unto God. In other words, they were separated, they were sanctified, and set out. For the worship in the temple. So blood brings consecration in Exodus chapter 29. Also in Exodus chapter 9, 29, pardon me, atonement is for our sin. The blood is for the atonement of sins in Exodus 29. And then in Exodus chapter 30, you'll read in the chapter that the atonement is for, the blood is the atonement for the soul. The atonement for the soul. So briefly, there is atonement for consecration, atonement for sin or for salvation, uh, pardon me, cleansing, and atonement in verse chapter 30, uh, for the cleansing of the soul. So you have consecration, cleansing, and salvation. Or if you want, election instead of consecration. And so brothers and sisters, when we take this into the New Testament, you see the, the, the importance of the foreshadowing blood. So the lamb and all the, 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 the tabernacle, I talked about the, the skins and so on, all of that was looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the very blood shedding and, and the blood application in the temple was looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when the Lord Jesus Christ came and paid our debt and died for us, we see all of these things are in His blood. So, how important is it for us to know about the blood? It's of the most importance. And notice here, so the word atonement or kafar, you know where it's also used? It's also used in the book of Genesis in the building of the ark. And you can read it when you go home, but it's the Lord tells Noah to build an ark, and He says you're to pitch the ark within and without. And the word to pitch and to pitch again, to pitch it within, pitch it without. The word to pitch, the first time you'll read pitch there, it is the word kafar. Cover it over. Cover the outside of the ark with a tar. It was an an atonement. And it sealed the ark that the water couldn't get in. But then when he says to pitch it within, it goes from kafar to kufar. That's a different word. Similar but different. And so the outside pitch means you're covered But inside it meant it meant that it was protected and it meant that the water couldn't come through. So inside to out is where we get our cleansing. We are cleansed from the inside to the out. We're cleansed in the soul. The spirit works from the inside to the outside in our lives when we're saved, when we're Christians. He comes and he moves in the inside and he works to the outside and we are covered. And remember, everyone that was in the ark they were saved from the deluge of the flood. So we can see even the word pitch means to cover. And it means to atone for. I love it whenever uh, some of the old scholars dig into these words. And the word to atone. So the blood is an atonement for the soul. It's an atonement for our sin. So whenever some of the old scholars look into it, they get little nuggets and little gems. And listen... Kafar is also, they said, the mean not only to cover or to expiate, in other words, to suffer, to pay the penalty, which Jesus did for us on the cross. But it also means to appease, to bring mercy. Listen, it also means to pacify or pacify, and it means to reconcile, to reconcile. So when Christ comes and sheds his blood, not only has he covered us and cleansed us, from the inside out, not only are we sealed, but also we're reconciled to God. Reconciled. So we, our sins were, uh, were vast and mighty and big between you and God and me and God. And Christ coming and dying for us, shedding his blood for us, and thus not only seeing the blood shed. You can hear about the cross all you want. You can hear the preaching of the cross and you can hear the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ flowing from his wounds and the blood flowing from his riven side. You can hear all of that over and over and over again where it's preaching or someone testifying or witnessing to you. But if the blood isn't applied to you, you're not cleansed. You're not atoned for. And you're not saved. And you're not saved. And you're not reconciled back to God. Charles Wesley, John Wesley's brother, wrote many hymns, and I love the hymn. He wrote, My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child I can no longer. Does anybody know the word fear? With confidence I now draw nigh. With confidence I now draw nigh. With confidence I now draw nigh and Father, Abba, Father cry. And that's what the blood of Christ does for us. Brings us with confidence, not arrogance, not disrespect. With confidence into the presence of God. Because of the blood that Jesus shed for us, atones for us, cleanses us. We have been washed in the blood. It reconciles us. And God acknowledges the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who knows that old hymn? Seriously? Does nobody know that old hymn? One, Helen, two? Anybody else? Seriously? My word, I can't believe that. It must be getting old. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father Abba, Father cry. You just don't know that. My word. And I apologize to all those that are watching online. and didn't for my singing. But I, I just felt I had to try. We, we're going to have to learn that old hymn. It's a wonderful hymn. Notice here, it brings reconciliation through the blood of Christ. So Hebrews 12, pardon me, 9 and verse 12 tells us that without the shedding of blood there's no remission. No remission. One of the most And I'm, pardon me if I'm I'm speaking out of school here to people who have suffered this, but one of the most uh, joyful words that a person who has uh, cancer can hear is that your cancer's in remission. Probably better still whenever it's not there, when it's, you know, whenever there's no sign of it in their body. So forgive me, I, I don't mean to uh, say I know what I'm speaking of here, but I've spoke to many, many, many people in the ministry over time, different illnesses, different things happening. And, and people, when they hear that, and they, their smile, it's in remission. Well, brothers and sisters, I, I am not believing that at all, but people don't realize there's a, a cancer of sin in everyone. And that sin needs to be in remission. And the idea is without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. And that the person in their sin is still as sick in their sin unto death without hope or help for eternity. But unto the blood, washed in the blood, trusting in the blood, believing the blood, hoping in the blood, receiving the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ... By faith and saying his blood is more than enough for me. The blood and only the blood. By receiving salvation through the blood of Christ. We have received remission in fact. We are fully cleansed from it. And it's not in our souls nor our bodies even. Even though we fail him. Because his blood continues to speak for us. See, every time I fail, yes, I repent. I hear people say, don't need to repent anymore. I repent all the time. Father, forgive me. I have failed you. And when I do, I know I'm washed in the blood. I know I'm covered and I'm cleansed and I'm his. So notice this here. If you're a child of God and you're blood washed and blood bought and you're under the blood, you're forgiven of your sins and you're sitting here this morning and you feel your unworthiness, The blood still speaks for you this morning. The blood is what speaks for you. It's the blood that the Father recognizes, the blood of Christ, and only the blood. It's the blood that covers you. It's the blood that hides you from the wrath of God. I want to say it again. I want you to get it. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that hides you from the wrath of God. For when God looks at me, a wretch... Now an heir of God and joint heir with Christ, believe it or not. But when he looks at me, you know what he sees? He sees the blood. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that I am trusting in. I'm believing in. Are you under the blood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Notice I better go on here. When we're told, it is that for it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. In Leviticus 17 and 11. We think as we read last week of John 19 and verse 18. And it says, They crucified him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 33 it says, But when they came, the Roman soldiers, to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, he gave up the ghost. The Roman soldier took that spear and Pierced his side and pierced that uh, per- picardium sack around his heart, and forthwith there came out blood and water—the fountain of blood. People said, in fact, there was a, many. It must be over twenty. Over twenty years ago, I remember uh, a, a fella came to me. We were talking, and and he wasn't long. He just got saved, and he says to me, "Can I ask you a question?" I says, "If I can answer it." And he says, why is it a lamb must be slain? And before I could answer him, he then said and continued to speak, he says, like I think it's very, very, very cruel when I think of a wee lamb and them taking a wee lamb and, and them killing a wee lamb just to shed its blood. Is that not really cruel? Like I got saved and his mentality was, oh, well Jesus died and it's this sort of uh, lovely, purified picture in his mind. But, but isn't that really cruel? I says, well, you know what? Here's how I, I want you to picture this from now on. Christ is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, John the Baptist Christ. He says, yes. I says, well, if God sent his son, think of it, parent of your own child, and sent his son, his only begotten son and sent him to the cross to die, and went through all that he went through, which we could never fully grasp nor understand. I says, and and if Christ has done all of that for us, he says, let me tell you why it's cruel. Because every time I look at the cross, I see the horrific nature of my sin. Every time I look at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, every time I look at that cross and read of his blood and his beating and his bruising and his sacrifice, every time I look at it, every time I read about it with the the Spirit of God helping me, every time I see the horrific, gory nature of the cross, the torturous implement of Rome, every time I see it and I grasp hold of that, Just a little that the Lord allows me to see. I see the horrific nature of my sin. I see my horrific nature. Adamic nature. My Adamic fallen nature. I see my death. And he died where I should have died. Because he lived to give me his life. when I see the blood I see the horrific nature of my sin but I see the cleansing power of the blood of the lamb for example in Isaiah 53 it's as though we stand under the cross when we read it Isaiah 53 and verse 5 for he was wounded for our transgressions look at that he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes we are healed all that he took and all that he's done for someone like me. Here's two things I want you to write down. One, in order for a guilty sinner to approach a holy God, he needed a suitable covering. going to say it again if you're taking notes. In order for a guilty sinner to approach a holy God, he needed a suitable covering. Secondly, aprons of fig leaves which were the works of man's hands, are not acceptable to God. And we try and produce the apron fig leaf in our lives. And it's not acceptable to God. Only that which God has done through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we look at this for a moment Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 6, if you will. John's Gospel, chapter 6. I said I would look a little at this, and I'm going to it now. John's Gospel, chapter 6. You see, in this chapter, the Lord Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Notice what he sets out here for salvation in John 6 and 44. I'm just going to give you pointers here, and you can work this out yourself. John 6 and 44, he says, No man can come to me. Notice, no man can come. It's impossible for a man to come to God. Why? Because we're dead in our trespasses and in our sins. You could write our total depravity. Except the Father, except the Father with whom you could draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Except the Father, you could write unconditional election there, because except the Father was to lay his love, electing love on you and I, we could never be saved. Except the Father which hath sent me, draw him. You could write their irresistible grace. Irresistible grace, where the Spirit of God quickened us in the gospel and made us alive, brought us from our death unto life and drew us. Drew us with his power. And his grace was on us. I said this morning about our our our, our now brother who, who's He was in the drive and his words were, you were preaching and I felt such a drawing to you, such a drawing. And it wasn't to me, but he thought it was to me. It was to the preaching of the word. It was the drawing. He could hardly sit in the car. And he went home to get out of the way, but the Holy Ghost kept working, drawing him and drawing him, irresistible until he gave over and gave up and yielded his life to Christ. Saved by grace, eh? This is the work of God, brothers and sisters. It's not the work of man. Except the Father which has sent me, draw him and I will raise him up. Hmm. You could put there the limited atonement. He will raise that one up under the blood. Are you under the blood? At the last day, put perseverance Or preservation of the saints, the last day. When I'm saved, he keeps me. I'm saved to serve him, but when I fall, he keeps me. Brothers and sisters, in John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. And then on down in John chapter 6, if you let your eye run down. Notice what he says in verse... And we are told for time's sake that people start leaving him because this is a hard saying who can hear it. They start walking away from Christ. They wanted to know him when he was feeding them the bread for their bodies, feeding him the bread for their lives, for their living. They wanted to walk with him when they were getting something from him, when it was convenient and they were, as some people would call it today, they were religiously good living for a living. What else can we get of this religion? They start to leave, but those who clung close and drew nigh to Christ. Lord, this is hard. How can we hear this? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, here's what I want to ask you, brother, sister. The Roman Catholic Church say that this is the Mass. That when they take the host wafer... From the sunburst monstrous, and they take it out and they hold it up, and uh, uh, they say uh, that this is the literal body, blood, sinew, divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ in this wafer, and so the priest will give it to those who come to receive it, and they and the people are and listen. This isn't the people's fault. It's not their fault. I went, I, I went as a... I was in a BB when I was a young boy. And I'll be honest, uh, so-called big, bold Protestant here. I knew nothing about it. I was lost and in my sin. And these people, they're taking the host wafer, thinking they're eating the literal body, blood, sinew, and divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember one time, I went to... Oh, I used to preach in an old church in the center of London. And they brought me over once a year to preach. And from 2008, I, I've been busy just pastoring, so I didn't want to leave the church, my past church and obviously this church. And they kept inviting me, and now they've given up inviting me because I don't go anymore. But, you know, I, I used to go to this old church, and it wasn't a big congregation. And i got get up, and it was a really old, long platform. And... Uh, and uh, it was a gnarled wood of, of a pulpit, big pulpit, gnarled wood. And there's a big curtain along here with pipes and, and an, or, a, an organ here with pipes and a big curtain down here, like blue velvet curtain. And I'm there and all, all of a sudden you'd seen the curtain coming back and a head popping out. Are you ready to go? And I still like going to the church because of, of the, the, one of the preachers that used to be there. Actually, he was one of the main founders of the church. And he wrote to him, Rock of Ages cleft for me. Let me hide thyself in thee. Let the water on the blood from thy riven side which flowed. Be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. And because it was his church, I, I felt the, I felt the wound that he would have felt And Him and John Wesley were around at the same time and they used to argue over, over doctrinal issues but knew each other in the Lord. And so when we were there, I a preached at the weekend, and then we, Alison would have came with me, and we would have went maybe for a day around London before we flew, we flew back home again. And we're on a double-decker tour bus one time, and we're driving around, because we'd been many times and had never done the tour bus, and we thought, let's be lazy and get the tour bus around. And we get on the tour bus and driving up, we seen St. Paul's Cathedral in the distance, and we the tour bus operator says, Now this is St. Paul's Cathedral, it is a working Protestant church. And he says, I says, I was there when I was a wee boy. I went with my school. And I remember that was the last time I was in it. Come on, we'll go. We jumped off, it was a hop on, half off, we walked in, and it charged us a ten or eight to get in. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was then, I don't know what the charge now, that was maybe, well it's over 12 years ago so I haven't been there in 12 years, maybe more, maybe 15 years. And we go in and it's ornate and it's beautiful into this big vast open area and someone walks up along these couple of steps dressed in black from head to toe, big robes, comes up the one solitary mic like this, he steps behind it. Excuse me, everyone, the people are looking around. Would you mind please taking a seat? Okay, so we all sat down. Can we pray? So he prayed there was nothing wrong with what he said. and Simple enough. And then he says, if there's someone here who would like to know more about Christianity, please come and talk to me. Fair enough. And then he said, we will be back here at 12 noon to take the Mass. Alison would tell you, if you were talking to her, she turned around and I was away. Not out the door, but up to him. I said, excuse me, did you say the Mass? I did. And people are starting to sort of stand about. I says, hold on a minute. You mean... The actual body, blood, sinew, and divinity, as in the Roman Catholic Church, have he says. Well, yes. And there's this big plaque. John Wycliffe on the wall and others, and still see it. it was like a sky blue on like a silvery writing or white silvery writing, morning star of the Reformation. It and I says, are you telling me that you actually believe? In the presence of Christ in that bread? Yes. I says, What if you break it and a crumb drops on the floor and everyone goes home tonight and a mouse comes and eats it? Is the mouse eating Christ? Uh, Well he's not in the body. The mouse isn't in the body, he says. That's what he said step back in dismay. I couldn't believe this. This is a working Protestant church now, we're told. And I pointed to John Wycliffe's big plaque and some of the others. And I said, see those men there? They would turn in their grave at you. they are turning their grave at you. Many of them gave their life for the word of God. I says, where are you getting it from? Oh, it's in the Bible. I says, are you talking about John chapter 6? Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Oh, well, yes, 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 we would take it from there. I says, are you not reading on where he says the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit? He started backing off, and the people were gathering. Allison was a bit embarrassed at this time. And he started backing off, and this is the truth I said to him. It's in the word of God. He says that the just shall live by faith. It's in the word of God, I says, that Jesus says he broke the bread to take the bread in remembrance of him. He stood back and says, uh, that's not in my Bible. I says, well, what Bible are you reading? I asked your brother, sister, what Bible are you reading? eat my flesh, drink my blood indeed. So are you telling me, this is what I said to him, are you telling me that Jesus from Leviticus chapter 17 is breaking the commandment and the law of God? And not only that, but he's not only said to eat his flesh and drink his blood, but he's telling thousands of Israelites to do that. That we have to take that. Against the law of God, he who kept the law that we couldn't keep and live the life that we couldn't live and shed his blood that we might be saved? Is this what you're telling me? He turned heel and he ran. He ran over way across and got on the door and closed the door behind him and locked it. I'll just not tell you. Church, you know what's wrong with many of the church today? Don't know this. Pulpits are full of men who are afraid to preach the word now in case they lose people. Preachers with spines like a wet noodle. Listen to this as I close. I'll maybe go into that more sometime and show you a lot more things than that. If you're taking notes, note this down. Write the blood of Jesus is the blood of God. The blood of Jesus is the blood of God. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Secondly, the blood does not have a shelf life. The blood of Jesus does not have a shelf life. Hebrews 13 and 20 calls it the blood of the everlasting covenant. It is the blood that still speaketh today. today. Hebrews 13 and 20, the blood of the everlasting covenant. Thirdly, the blood of Jesus is most precious blood. It's most costly and highly valued. Mark chapter 8 verses 36 and 37 says, For what shall it profit a man if she gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, the fig leaf religion, the covering of our sin, the works, the alms and the deeds, the rituals and all the ceremonial pomp and fashion cannot save a soul. don't care what church it is. Whether they claim to be a Protestant church or a Catholic church or whatever church, I don't care. They cannot save a soul. This church can't save you. This man can't save you. But we preach the one who can. We preach Christ crucified in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it's the most precious blood because you can't... For any reason or method, if you had the whole world to pay for your soul, but the blood so precious of the Lord Jesus Christ, it has paid the debt. Paid my debt in its fullness. And 1 Peter 1 18 and 19 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from the vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. That's what's wrong people in Protestant churches and they believe I've received the tradition of my father. This is what we do on Sunday. We go to church on Sunday. This is what we do. We have been christened as a baby or we have received communion at the hand of the bishop or we have this Saturday, Brother, if that's what you're trusting in, whether it's a Protestant or a Catholic, you'll go to hell. You'll die in your sin. Christ and Christ alone. It's Christ and Christ alone, brother, sister, friend. Receive from the tradition of your fathers, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, or the highly valued, the costly, precious blood of Christ. That's what we'd read. As of a lamb, without blemish, without spot. Lastly. Jesus' blood not only redeems and cleanses, but it looses us from our sin. Listen, I know where God saved me from. I know where Christ came into my life. Things in my life from my past that I would darn't ever bring up. Shamed. Ashamed but I can tell you as far as he's concerned it's under the blood it's washed away Jesus' blood not only redeems and cleanses but it looses, this is the last point of this, Revelation 1 verse 5 says unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood see the word washed, you know what it means he's loosed me from my past He's loosed me from the creature I am. He's loosed me and cleansed me from my sin. And notice that loved us doesn't mean he loved us once and doesn't love us still. It means that he, it's a present tense, it's written in the present tense. It means unto him that loved and loves us. First John 1 and 7, John says, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's my finished point. And Isaac Watts wrote this. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ the heavenly Lamb takes all our sins away a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. May God bless the preaching of the blood this morning to all of our hearts and the exaltation of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother, sister, let's go out in victory. We're under the blood. If you're not saved this morning, you need to be under the blood. You need to be washed in the blood. Then you need to see us then. May God bless you. Team, would you come up, please?